Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I am super excited tonight as we have a writer and director named Chuck Perello coming on momentarily, and we'll get into in a moment some of the most prolific serial killers that he has written and directed films on. So it's going to be an awesome show. I'm super excited. It's the month of October, so it's perfect timing to have a show like this. And um, I'll get into talking a little bit about him momentarily. Just want to thank everyone for joining us tonight, thank all of my guests and everyone who has supported the show. It's just been an amazing run. I started the show a little bit over a year ago with the concept in mind to bring a forum where I could bring people on in the entertainment industry. It could be writers, it could be directors, musicians, comedians, um, you name it. I've had pretty much every type of uh, genre on my show. And I just really wanted to support people, help them spread the names about themselves and get the word out there about who they are. A little bit about myself, uh, and, and the show is very apropos tonight. I have my doctorate in clinical psychology, and my focus is uh, predominantly in clinical and forensics. Um, so I've worked in everything from county jails all the way up to uh, maximum security correctional facilities, which, are, which is where I'm currently at. So uh, Chuck writes about this stuff and directs amazing films. I actually live this type of stuff on a, a daily basis. Um, I'm also a singer-songwriter with an album out uh, as a solo artist under my name, and I do some writing for some magazines on psychology and entertainment, and uh, again, the new uh, thing that I'm doing right now is my radio show. So if you're tuning in, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. You can also call in tonight. I have this information up in the chat room, too. The call-in number is 805-243-1320. And again, if anyone tunes in late or you cannot uh, tune in live to the show, the podcast will be available to stream or download it once it is over. Uh, A couple of things I just kind of request people keep in mind is, even though I mentioned I'm a psychologist, my show is purely for entertainment purposes. It is not to do any type of formal therapy or treatment, um, even though I know my guests often laugh about how they could use a psychologist. And uh, the other thing I also say is if people want to talk about, you know, any intriguing, controversial, uh, entertaining stories that could potentially be humiliating or embarrassing to anyone, just to please keep any identifying information out. I do want my guests to feel down to earth and be able to talk about whatever they'd like. Um, The show is very open-ended. It's a mature show, so it's it's not like uh, this is a a PG-13 show or something like that. So, but just to, you know, for respect for other people, just to keep stuff like that uh, anonymous, as I mentioned. Okay, let me uh, give you some information. I always like to start out, especially if um, I contacted the guest myself, which I did in Chuck Perello's case. Um, I had found out about him when I was watching uh, a profile of Ed Gein, who is one of the most prolific serial killers that uh, Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was based on. So I was watching this uh, this bio on the uh, on the serial killer, and I saw Chuck talking in some of the outtakes about his film and uh, and the the uh, killer, and I was really intrigued by him and, and what he was talking about. And I was like, I have to look him up. So I looked him up. I contacted him, and again, it's a pleasure and honor to have him coming on my show tonight. Um, I did have an opportunity to watch Ed Gein. We're going to talk about that tonight, as well as other films that he has written and directed. And, and personally, I highly recommend everyone check out Ed Gein. It was an amazing film from the writing and the directing. Top-notch actors, Steve Rielsback and other actors who were in it just did an outstanding job. And for me personally, just because I'm a psychologist, I just felt that um, uh, with the club, Chuck really did capture so well the disturbed and uh, mentally ill aspect of Ed Gein in this film. So please check it out, and we'll talk about all the other films that he has out, too. All right, let me give a little bit about him. I can get a little wordy sometimes and a little long-winded. A little bit about Chuck. I don't want to give too much away because he's going to talk about uh, himself tonight, and we're going we're gonna to pick his brain a little bit, no pun intended. Um, so writer-director Chuck Perillo, he is a Chicago native and a graduate of the city's Columbia College uh, had been running director John McNaughton's development company for over three years when he was hired to write a sequel to McNaughton's chilling cult classic, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. 
I don't know if people have heard of that film, but um, I'll tell Chuck a little bit about my experience with that film. It's it's really disturbing. Um, it's a great film, so I'm sure people who are into horror have seen this film. So they were so impressed uh, by Perillo's um, abilities that they had asked him to write the script for Henry Porch of a Serial Killer Part 2. And uh, he'll tell us a little bit about who the serial killer is and, and how he was able to relay this film in such a great way. Uh, from there, because of his writing and his directing, he went into getting the opportunity to write Ed Gein. He also wrote about, um, hold on, I'm going through my notes here. I've got a lot of stuff. That, um, the Hillside Strangler, which is another, uh, as we know, extremely uh, disturbing uh, two individuals, but it was based on one along with the cousins together. And then now he is looking to write a film called City Gas, and I just came across on Facebook another one called Dr. 420, which looks really interesting. So we're going to ask him about that tonight, too. So without that being said, uh, with enough of me talking, let's bring Chuck on the air. Hey, Chuck, how are you? Hello. Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining me and coming on tonight. No problem, yeah. Cool. Well, welcome. And uh, we're going to, again, get into your mind a little bit and how you got into this uh, interest in writing about some of these crazy serial killers. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, and, and my show, again, I'll ask some questions, but it's very open-ended. So if you want to take it in one direction or another, please feel free to do that. Okay. Okay? So sure, why don't we uh, start a little bit from the beginning. Just tell us a little bit about yourself growing up. What, what were you like as a kid? Because I want to kind of delve into how you went down the road you did to doing these types of films that you do today. So tell us a little bit about, you know, who you were, where did you grow up, some background information. Um, I guess I've always been interested in this kind of stuff. I I grew up in Chicago, so there was a couple of really famous gangsters that lived on my block. So I remember seeing the FBI cars outside of their house all the time and just being intrigued by somebody who was on the cusp of the law who was always living living this gangster-type lifestyle. And from there, I just saw the movie In Cold Blood one late okay. night, and just that was kind of it. It was just right then and there I knew that this was this was kind of a calling. And, and how then, old, real quick, just to, just to digress, how old were you about when you saw In Cold Blood? Oh, I remember I was a little kid. It scared the hell out of me. Oh, wow. Me. It was just <laughs> so true. So terrific. It's still one of my favorite movies. It's just so powerful. It's just so interesting that uh, Robert Blake starred in it, and he went on to become his own, uh, do his own version of In Cold Blood. <laughs> Supposedly. Interesting. I, you know, I don't think I ever, and I've seen, that's what I grew up, just watching, you know, crazy horror movies and stuff like that. I don't know if I've ever saw that one, though. I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah, you're in for a real treat. It's pretty, really, really devastating. They wow. Really terrific job with the, with that film. But cool. uh, anyway, fast, fast forward or fast forward to me going to film school, and I was I was living in Chicago, working for this publication, writing about film and video, and a director, a new director named John McNaughton, came into uh, the offices of the magazine I worked at, and he said. Here I have a uh, movie, a screener of a film that's going to be showing at the Chicago International Film Festival, and perhaps somebody would like to write about it that works here. So I looked at the artwork, and it was called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and honestly it looked like just some amateurishly made production. And right. I was, I was very interested in the subject matter, so I said, well, I'll, I'll check this out. I didn't check it out for like a month just because I had other things to do. And when I did, I was like, wow, this this is talent. Somebody somebody knows what they're doing here. So and just, as, you're, I, as you're talking, and I'm sorry to interrupt, give us a little bit of information, too, for the audience on, you know, who Henry, Porch of a Serial Killer, is. Just, you know, just a couple of highlights so people can really capture kind of the type of film this is. I, Henry, Porch of a Serial Killer came about when John McNaughton saw a little piece on 2020 about the serial killer Henry Lee Lucas. Okay. Uh, at, the at the time, Henry Lee Lucas and his his pal Otis Toole were thought to have been these 
prolific serial killers who might have killed as many as 600 people. So at the at the time when that, that clip first came out, the assumption was that Henry and Otis had done all these murders, but jump forward about 20 years and it's, 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 Henry just seems like a colossal liar that a lot of the stuff that he said he did, he kind of made up and the police mm-hmm. just kind of played, police just kind of played along with it because they, they were stamping all these cases solved that, that had been unsolved for, for years and years and years and pretty soon it became pretty evident, evident that these, that he was, you know, had caused the hoax and he was still, they were still killing. So, Otis Otis Tool supposedly was involved with the uh, the death of Adam Walsh, the little okay. boy who was murdered. You know, who uh, his father John Walsh ended up uh, doing the show America's Most Wanted. Right, right. So, okay. But anyways, I I saw this movie Henry. I thought it was a genius product. I ended up getting hired at the company that owned Henry, and uh, I said. What's going on with this movie? Why is it just sitting around? It's it seems so terrific. It's one of the best best uh, portraits of this kind of person I've ever seen in my life, and I think people would be interested in this. And uh, the, the truth of the matter was, it was just sitting on a shelf with uh, where it had been branded by the Motion Picture Association of America with an X rating. Because of <laughs> right. Disturbing moral content. They said, even though it wasn't a pornographic picture at all, it was. Very disturbing. Everyone who sees it remembers it forever. So I said, well, that shouldn't be that big of an obstacle, especially not for horror fans who love really disturbing movies. Mm-hmm. And I started showing it around. I got it at for its first theatrical screening in Chicago. And it started playing Midnight's, and word of mouth started to accumulate. And pretty soon it's, it got a theatrical release and, and all these great reviews. And... Uh, Pretty much launched John McNaughton's career. That's awesome. So, wow. Yeah. Then I went to work for John, and uh, we worked on films like Mad Dog and Glory with Robert De Niro and Bill Murray and Uma Thurman, and also uh, Normal Life with uh, Luke Perry and Ashley Judd, which was another true crime story out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And from there, from there, I just kind of branched out and uh, became a director myself. Well, uh, the sequel to John's film and and uh, made that and that got me more work and you know just keeps coming. That's cool. So just real quick, just to kind of digress a little bit. So you went just straight through school with the understanding of you wanted to become a director. There was no other type of career road you were taking, and then you fell into be doing this a little later on. Was that the path that you took? I actually never really thought of myself as a director. I would. I thought one or day a I would write. Screen. No, I thought of myself as a writer. I was always writing, but I was. Uh, I thought one day somebody would buy a screenplay of mine, and hopefully it would lead to some sort of a screenwriting career. Mm-hmm. And uh, ha- having worked with the director and seeing everything, all the the, the strife that he dealt with on a day to day basis, it was not a position that I particularly coveted. I never said, oh, I want to be the person who's standing there yelling action and cut. Right. But just by hook or by crook, it ended up being no one is as interested in this as Chuck is, and no one's going to put the amount of sweat and, and and everything into it the way Chuck will, so why not just have Chuck do it? And it worked out. Cool, cool. And when you say no one is as interested in this, are you referring to the, the types of films that you were doing? Uh, the the company that made Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, I, I worked at, so they knew me and trusted me. Mm-hmm. When I wrote the screenplay for Henry II and we started to look for a director to do it, it just became obvious that no one but me was going to give it the atten- this, this type right. of attention. Sure. So they wisely chose me to be the helmer of it. And... Uh, Turned out to be a good little picture. It's uh, it definitely this pretty creepy little little goodie that that got me more work and and, and got me some acclaim. And uh, you know, it uh, that that film actually starred uh, Kate Walsh, who went on to be a big star with uh, Private Practice. And uh, oh wow, okay. She's a huge TV star now. Back then, it was she was just a broke little actress in Chicago. Right. <laughs> wow. It, 
So yeah, so it's it's definitely it's, if you haven't seen it, it definitely has uh, some really really terrific acting and, and just really really scary tone. Cool. And, uh, I think it's very well put together. I'll definitely have to check that out. Definitely. Like I said, and we're going to get into Ed Gein too. I mean, I just I loved it. It was just really good, and it's yeah. it's interesting. And I I would like to pick your brain a little bit in terms of today and the types of films out there. I mean. I haven't come across a good horror movie in a long time, and it's it's just a shame right. you don't you don't see the stuff like you saw back in you know the the type of gritty type of filming they did with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one, the site. You just don't get that quality anymore. Everything's so over the top. Sometimes it's just not realistic. And I felt that with Ed Gein, you just really I just I just love the quality of how it was shot, the actors. I mean, the setting you had it in. It was just so realistic. It was great. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of mil- a lot of movies these days are made particular aren't made particularly scary. To be scary, they just want to be an experience. They want to be mm-hmm. get as many people. They want to get as many people in as possible and not offend anybody. And right. uh, just kind of bland blandness is the rule of thumb. They mm-hmm. remake the the seminal classics from the seventies, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. You walk out of them not feeling anything, and you go, wait, they had a great role model to start with, and what what happened, and what happened is they don't really want to scare you anymore. Where back in the day, the, the when you know in the seventies when movies like Alien and Halloween were were popping up, that was the goal. They wanted the, you to go home and, and turn on every light and, and right, you know. <laughs> And never sleep again, you know. They knew word about on these movies was, was going to be fantastic. They didn't have the $100 million barking budgets of the, way, the way that they do now. Right. So it's just homogenized completely. And when something good comes along, the fans just embrace it big time. Right. But uh, I, I think moviegoers today are kind of missing out because you see these movies advertised that seem like violent shoot-em-ups and, and, uh, or horror films, and you get to the theater and they're rated PG-13. And the reason mm-hmm. they do that, the reason they do that is to keep, to get the most amount of ticket buyers in as possible. And if it's something rated R, that supposedly cuts down on the amount of kids who can go see it. Interesting. So, which, which cuts out any real tough visceral thrills or bloodletting or even profanity you can when you have a PG-13 you can't say a lot of swear words so mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm not saying the movie needs to be is needs all that stuff to be good but you're kind of when you're signing up to watch a horror movie part of the contract is let's see something really really out there right right <laughs> I mean, at least in my case I always wanted to really be scared so I don't know. I think uh, there's definitely some good, definitely some good upcoming talent filmmakers out there that are making some really good things. It's just, just getting harder and harder to uh, get past the suits and do anything that that really makes a lasting imprint. Right. Like, like the movie Henry's Portrait of a Serial Killer. Everyone agrees that that is one of the scariest movies of all time, and 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 the critics are all over it, and and. People can't stop talking about it. But back in the day, nobody wanted to touch it. I mean, no distributors wanted it. Uh, no film festivals wanted it. It it just was a pariah film that people would whisper about but didn't want to go anywhere near. And even when the critical response to it was, was amazing, uh a lot of distributors were still saying, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with that. It's dangerous. Right. Sure. <laughs> so, which is a bad, you know, which is, is a gold star in my book. I mean, uh, when we showed Henry at the Telluride Film Festival, I'd say like 30% of the audience got up and ran out ran out of the auditorium. Wow. <laughs> which, and I remember turning to John McDonald at the time saying, you should be so proud of yourself. You know, that's that's a great achievement. And he was a little shooken up, but ultimately all those people who ran out, that was like the best word of mouth any movie could ever have. 
Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting that you're talking about, especially more of these independent films, like you're saying, I just can't make it out there because of the the type of movie, the style of the movie, and just the audience that it's going to, you know, attract or not attract because of what the film's about. What do you think of, for example, that movie, The Human Centipede? And I haven't seen it yet. I've seen some trailers. Have you seen that? I've seen, like, parts of it. Right. It's funny that I'm, I'm sort of a baby where that, where that kind of stuff comes in. It, it's, I saw exactly where it was going, and <laughs> I just didn't want to go there with it. Right. It's inter- interesting that there's a lot of people who say they don't like movies like that who had no problem sitting through the whole thing. But wow. that seemed like one of, those, one of those movies you just want to scrub your brain of the imagery <laughs> if you could, but you probably can't. Right, I right. No yeah. with, I have no problem with extreme violence. It's just I like some sort of ingenuity behind it. I like to, I like to be surprised by what I'm saying. And when it's just some slaughterhouse, cattle fall kind of thing, and right. I know exactly what's coming next, I just, I don't know, I just kind of turned that's, it off a little Yeah, bit. that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, okay, so, no, thank you for that feedback. I think that was really interesting, and that's definitely very informative with what you talked about in regards to, you know, movie theaters and needing to make money and, you know, cutting out a lot of different populations if it's rated R or, you know, I never... Funny, I never thought of it that way, but it totally makes sense how you explained it. I I applaud the Human Centipede for being made in this day and age, and for being so unrestrained, and for getting an audience behind it and the distributor behind it. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that's terrific. You know, it definitely looks like a really creepy, creepy experience, but right. No, it's just not my kind of thing. I don't know. The, right, the second right. One seemed, the second one seemed kind of clever, but I didn't see that either. But okay. I, I, I heard a little bit. That. I heard a little bit about the second one, but I haven't seen either of them either. And I think there's a there's a third part coming out, and then it's supposed to end after that, from what I've read online. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so it's a trilogy. Oh, but okay, so why don't we get into talk a little bit about. Uh, Ed Gein and, and how, because he, to me, is one of the most fascinating serial killers. I'm not sure, you know, I think he just encompasses so many different aspects that maybe, you know, one serial killer might have or another, but but he incorporated the full gamut. So tell us a little bit about right. him and, and how you got interested in, you know, developing a film on him. Uh, well, that one happened with, uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, they were marking my first film, and uh, John McDonough happened to be there, and the producer said, look, they're they're ripping you off with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer too." And John said, no, that's Chuck's film, and he, made, he did a really good job with it. Mm-hmm. And the producer ended up saying, ended up deciding to make a movie on Ed Keen, and I was the first person that he called, because he was impressed with my work on Henry too. Okay. But I'm a Midwestern guy, and, and Ed Gein was from Plainfield, Wisconsin. So his legend was always was always there. It was he was always talked about. There's a, there's a lot of myths surrounding him. And some, real quick, give us some of the myths that you're talking. That's interesting. I never heard of that. Well, a lot of people think that he. A lot of people see the movies that were based on his life, like Psycho and the Texas mm-hmm. Chainsaw Massacre and The Silence of the Lambs, and they assume all those fictitious things that were just takeoffs on the story actually happened, like Ed Gein had his mother and dug up his mother and had her in the house and, you know, uh, just things things that weren't part of the real story but just ended up it's interesting he just became this legendary figure when what he what he did was was pretty god awful, but you think about all the mass murders of who have come and gone since him and how they've topped him in terms right. of body count carnage. But somehow the legend of that just lives on. It's just he's this creepy old man who lived in this, this decrepit house filled with junk and uh he was a body Definitely a uh, a grave di- a grave robber. 
Mm-hmm. And the idea that he was living in this smelly old house with dead body parts is, is just creeps creeps out of people. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I mean the uh when that that story hit back in the fifties, it was just people had never heard of anything like that and 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 rumors were rampant, he was a cannibal, he was this, he was that and Every unsolved murder within, you know, 5,000 miles of, of Plainfield, Wisconsin, was, was stamped solved. You know, Ed Dean must have done it. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's just interesting that here's this, this little old farmer guy from from out in the middle of nowhere who industry an industry has grown up around him. His books, that- his movies, there's a band, there's... there's Comic books. There's, there's. He's one of the most famous stars on the internet. I mean, Google him and you'll see. He's just right. a page of so that, You know, that's that's interesting that you said it. And and I was, you know, again, unfortunately, as a psychologist watching the film, you know, you see, like you said, this little decrepit old man who just looks so, you know, just feeble and just like the way he kills people. It isn't like a, a Jeffrey Dahmer or something. You know what I mean? In terms of how you no. captured him killing people so it was just interesting to see just how disturbed you know and ill this guy was but at the same point he just looked at him and he didn't look like you know some of the people no. like to talk about that you see um, today yeah no he he was definitely a harm seemed like a harmless dude and everybody liked him and he liked kids and didn't swear didn't really drink didn't didn't do anything that would have led anyone to believe he was up to anything and Mostly he wasn't. Mostly he was just this little lonely man who lived with his in this big house alone, and he was mentally ill, and he just became more and more bipolar, and ultimately his mental illness overtook him, and these fantasies that he were, was having just blossomed into violent action. Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty tragic, I guess. I think that's part of the the uh, why the film is so effective in that it kind of tells the true story and the implications of the violence and the people that he picked were real victims and and it progressed. The, his mental illness progressed as did his fascination with the women that he ultimately killed. Right. I mean, typically in in horror films, the killers don't know their victims. And there's no nothing. There's no repercussions after somebody's been killed. But in in real life, as you know from what you do, it's mm-hmm. somebody gets killed. It's 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 not just the person that's murdered whose life is destroyed. It's everybody everybody around them big time for sure. the rest of their life their lives as well. So I I my idea for the film was to just dwell on the, the actual horror of the thing and, and to show that there was, you know, that these were real people and this actually happened, and I think that's why it's, it's so unforgettable. Right, definitely. Now, again, it was it was really well shot, really really well done. I think that's uh, part of the power of it is Steve Railsback's performance. Yes, and absolutely. It, it, people might remember him he played Charles Manson in the, the TV version of Helter Skelter. Mm-hmm. And back when that aired, the Helter Skelter aired, that was like one of the most watched TV show, TV events of all time. Because back then they didn't have cable, they didn't have the internet. <clears throat> so everybody tuned in, but people still remember that performance. It was just so haunting. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I recently saw Steve in a, a little little movie out of the 70s with James Woods in it, and I had never heard of it. And he played a Vietnam vet, and it was just amazing. He was just amazing. You just can't forget his presence and, and, and his acting. He is an amazing actor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way he captured Ed Gein and just portrayed him in the film was, yeah, it was phenomenal. Really, really good. The way he concentrates, I mean, it's just, that was just a perfect, perfect combination for uh, an actor and a part. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. So 
sure scooped out everybody on the on the uh, on the set. That's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's, and everyone in the film. I mean, from you know the woman who played the the boisterous bartender. I mean, she was great. I loved her. I mean, there was just you know everyone in the film had their own niche and just did such a good job. Yeah, yeah, no, it came you together know, they really, really well. did. Yeah, definitely. Really. So let's do this. I'm just going to put you on hold real quick. I just want to do a quick uh, few commercial plugs and breaks, and then I'll bring you back, and we're going to talk about some of your other films and some of the new stuff that you're getting involved in. Sounds good. Okay, thanks, Chuck. Hold on. Thank you. All right, everyone. Again, you are listening to the writer and director, Chuck Perillo. Please be sure to check out some of his amazing films, including Ed Gein, The Hillside Strangler, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, Part 2. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple more films that he is currently involved in developing. So I'm just going to do a few quick plugs. Um, The first one I want to do is I'm extremely excited and, again, honored. I'm currently an executive producer of a new web series that uh, just hit the scene about, I don't know, I guess two or three weeks ago. It's called We Approved This Message. And um, it's an amazing web series that is based on just this really absurd campaign ads about Mitt Romney and Obama. And the whole point is just something comedic and funny. And our Mitt Romney impersonator, Mike McRae, who is just an amazing comedian and uh, impressionist, he had his second stint today. He called into the Howard Stern Show this morning. So please check him out. He did a phenomenal job on the Howard Stern Show, and they just keep having him come back. So the other executive producers and also the head writer is Jim Shaughnessy, who is a former writer of The Tonight Show, along with Richard Marcus. And we also have producer Jared Cardwell, who writes for Arsenio Hall and George Lopez. So we're just so excited about this project. A lot of people have supported it. Uh, I want to give a quick plug to the lady in Red Blog who supported it, as well as Brian Oakley, uh, who's going to be coming on my show because one of the perks that we had for people who uh, made some contributions were to come on my radio show for an interview. So, uh, again, thanks to everyone who has supported it. So if you haven't checked it out, go to weapprovedthismessage.com. Also want to give a plug to Flirt Energy Drink. It is a female fitness energy drink specifically formulated for the female athlete. You can check them out at flirtdrink.com. They're currently in all the Harris Teeter stores from North Carolina down to Florida. So uh, check out their drink, and they're expanding their product as we speak. And also check out Davin's Den. It is a fast-paced podcast featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry and Pip Helix. So if you're looking for a show that can make you think and laugh at the same time, Davin's Den is the show for you. They go live Tuesday night, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to watch live episodes, hear or watch old episodes. Go to Davin's Den page at davincomedy.com, and it's spelled D-A-V-I-N comedy.com. So if I forgot anyone else, I will pick you up uh, at the end of the show. But let's bring Chuck back on so we can get into some of his new projects. All right, Chuck, you're back. Cool. Cool. <laughs> so, um, okay, so yeah, let's let's talk about uh if you wanna, you know, touch base a little bit on the Hillside Strangler, please feel free. I just you know, whatever you wanna sure. focus on now. Yeah, I mean the Hillside Strangler is another really disturbing film, but it's definitely worth a look for the performances of C. Thomas Hall and Nicholas Totoro, who played cousins Angelo Bono and uh, Ken Bianchi, uh, okay. who went who went on a killing spree in Los Angeles in the late 70s that unfortunately claimed 12 victims. They were killing women and putting their bodies out on display to taunt the police. And mm-hmm. at the time, the at the time the police thought it might have been one person who was doing all this stuff. And lo and behold, it, it turned out to be it was these two cousins. And at the time, it was just such a horrific, horrific occurrence. The, the, it was uh, women in Los Angeles were arming themselves with everyone who was rumored to be the Hillside Strangler. Uh, it just was the headline news for, for at least a year and a half. And mm-hmm. then when these guys 
when these guys finally got caught, their trial ended up being the biggest trial, the longest trial in criminal history. It took over two years. It was just such a colossal, colossal tragedy. But that one is definitely worth speaking out just for the uh, the performances, especially of Nick Totoro as Angela Bono. Bono. Boy, okay. that guy was on fire. That guy was nice. on fire. He really, really scared the crap out of people. So if you're in the mood for something that's going to shake you up a little bit, check that one out. I will. I'm looking forward to these two. I definitely want to check out both Henry and that one now, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, that one that one definitely is gets people going. People say they remember it for a long, long time after they've seen it. So it it definitely is an accurate portrayal of these of these two guys and the the weird relationship they had. One was the one was older than the other one. Mm-hmm. They hadn't seen each other they hadn't even seen each other for twenty years. They had no relationship prior for like twenty years and then all of a sudden they the one comes back and the other one's life and they get into a series of misadventures, and it leads more and more to to their this this thing that they they just end up doing this thing together. It's just the weirdest thing because what usually ha- usually when you're talking about psychopaths, it's usually one person, but for two people to be that sick together is, is right an infrequent occurrence. And unfortunately, these two did get together and they did do the things that they did and uh, it's just unfathomable because they both had normal lives they both, well not semi-normal lives but they both had plenty of relationships with women going on they, they I mean they, they were fractured people obviously but they weren't some drooling monster in the corner they weren't, on the surface they seemed like normal guys Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty scary stuff. Definitely a good Halloween watch. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I remember watching some of the profiles of them on the Bio Channel. Wasn't mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe? And again, I've watched so much stuff lately. It's it's actually disturbing that I watch this stuff outside of my full time job. But That's wasn't true, one of brave. them? <laughs> wasn't one of them? And I don't want to say it was the older one kind of influenced the the younger one as a little boy. I don't know if he had been in the military, but he had, he had I don't, I just remember what the little one being exposed to kind of some disturbing stuff. And then when they got back together, it was, yeah, I know it was just weird. I just remembered something with two people where one was influencing the other one a little bit, even though they were both psychopaths. You know what I mean? Uh, well, the older guy, Angelo Bona, was a upholsterer in, in L.A., mm-hmm. and Ken Bianchi was this young guy who who had all these grand plans. He was a schemer. He fancied right. himself a psychologist. <laughs> like That's right. And, That's uh, right. Oh, my gosh. Know, he, he was a con artist, and Angelo used... Ken is a lure for women because he was kind of a handsome guy, mm-hmm. handsome younger guy that women women like like the sight of, anyways. So they both had their attributes that played off of one another. Right. But Angelo def- definitely was was a, an abuser. Had been married several times. Had eight kids. Had right. He definitely was some, somebody who hated women with a passion. Mm-hmm. And I guess he was kind of a teacher to Ken and uh, as I said the com the those two combinations just yeah bustable. It was it, I mean to this day it's just so unfathomable that that some of the things that they did did to the women and uh, it's funny because I'll I'll once in a while I'll get I'll get some sort of correspondence from someone who knew knew them or knew of them and uh, it's just something that just never goes away if you're I pity anyone who's gets involved with, has any type of involvement with this kind of stuff. I mean, right. I, uh, people often ask me if I correspond with the people that I write about, and my answer is usually no. I don't want those type of people in my life. <laughs> like you <laughs> well, have most on, of the people, like fortunately, yeah, fortunately people, most of the people you've written about are no longer around, but that's, that's a good question. I mean, do you, have you received stuff from people incarcerated? 
I have, I have. I, I, I often receive stuff from from people who want me to do their life stories and. Oh, and gotcha. Great thing that would make a great movie, and uh, you never know. Sometimes there's a gem in there, but typically when they're writing from an institution or something, it's it's you know, especially if they're looking for Hollywood glory for their things that right. they've done. Right. Right. Usually, usually not going to work out. <laughs> mhm. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. Well, that sounds like another fascinating film. Um, tell us yeah. a little bit about some of the the new projects that you're up to, so you can give those a plug and give some information on them. Uh, well, right now I got a little film going that's uh, going to be about a teenage girl who who lures her older married lover into helping her murder her parents and younger brother. It's it's based on a true story. And okay. Robin Williams' daughter, Zelda, is supposed to play the the uh the teenage girl. So oh, that's wow. pretty Yeah, that's pretty rough stuff. But uh it's just a fascinating, fascinating story about how all these events just this this girl was feuding with her parents over the her parents hated the boyfriend. And she, uh, the the girl thought that her father was involved with the mafia and that he had hit uh, a contract out of their lives, and so therefore they had to get him first. So it's just a kind of a such a dark, dark, dark drama that it almost becomes a comedy, like wow. a dark comedy. Because when you're dealing with sociopaths like that, they they don't use a lot of common sense. Right. So, well, exactly. There's definitely there's definitely room for kind of a dark comedic undertone because you just look at these people and you go, God, are they stupid? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but at the time they're they think they're doing the right thing. They think that they're they they have it in their mind that if they just do this, that everything's going to be okay. And they're obviously not real clear-headed about stuff, and they're using drugs. and, and Right. And just, you know, that very that very impulsive quality and not thinking of the consequences or, you know, thinking they're omnipotent and nothing's going to happen. So, yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. Right. Yeah. Well, they're relentless. These uh, psychopaths and sociopaths are relentless. They They will do anything to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And... If they would have taken that energy they applied towards these bad causes and used them towards anything good, they probably would have succeeded big time. Well, but, right. Uh, I mean, think of Chuck, for example. Think of, unfortunately, the good CEOs out there. You know, very charming, very manipulative. They can just, you know, engage anyone. And, you know, it, it's those qualities. But, right, these people, and, of course, not having a conscience is a huge component of it, too. But Absolutely. <laughs> right. Like Ted right. Like Ted Ted Bundy is, is there's a myth about mm-hmm. Ted Bundy in that he was this brilliant law student and could do anything and uh-uh. he's and the fact of the matter is he was a failure at everything that he ever tried to do. He dropped exactly. out of everything everything that he tried to do. But in the media it it became a much better story if you could if you could pump this guy up as this brilliant, good looking guy who just uh, happens to be this mass murderer. Mhm. The bulk of the I mean, Hollywood likes to portray these mass murderers as as you know cunning and brilliant and 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 suave and handsome. Where the fact of the matter is, if they were all those things, they probably would not be stooping to some of the, the horrible things that they do. If they, right. If they if they had that much on the ball, they wouldn't waste their time with with killing and everything else that goes along with it. <laughs> yeah, I think that, and I mean, I'm a huge component of looking at, you know, kind of childhood, early development, different, you know, things that went on back then that were unfortunately kind of setting the stage for what's to come later in life. And, you know, that's that's right. the scarier stuff. You know, the kids that were, you know, sorely, you know, very abused or and you, you see them at an early age harming these animals, you know, setting fires, and it's just these warning signs that are like, ugh. You know, the conduct disorder kids, you know, skipping school and getting into fights. And so, yeah, right. unfortunately, I agree with you. I think you would hope yeah, that if they no. have all those 
great qualities they'd use them in a positive way but and and there's a huge i mean we could talk sometime if you're interested off the air but i mean just there's also just a, a neurological component that is really fascinating where they've compared you know the the brains of psychopaths to normal people and you do see certain wow. areas that are overdeveloped underdeveloped i mean really interesting it, the, the research right. is very new right now but they are looking at different you know components like that which is cool Sure would be nice if they could find a test to determine whether or not you're going to turn into a psycho or not. I know. Well, we do have, actually, it's funny, but they're for adults. I mean, we do have, um, it's called the PCLR, and it's the psychopathy checklist, but it's a really extensive, you know, it's not just a checklist of, oh, I harmed animals. Okay, check for yes. I mean, you got to get collateral data. you got to get family contact, a really good interview. It's It's so much stuff you have to compile, but it's a, it's a very well-developed instrument for adults that you can use. And I think there's one for adolescents, too. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I know they're getting more and more of an understanding, but it's ultimately a lot of these variables and, and, and things that look like they're this is the way psychopaths go. It's right. like some of the come along that will completely blow that, that theory out of the water. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's right. just definitely a... Uh, Definitely a fascinating science to figure out, you know, what you know, what what leads people down these paths. I mean, not everybody who is a psychopath was was abused as a child. Right. No, you're right. Absolutely. Or tortured animals or started fires. But mm-hmm. definitely if those things are in their existence, it's probably probably gonna lead somewhere not real good, especially when people have been abused by their by their parents or whatnot. It's, uh, right. You know, bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So what's the title of this movie that you're um, referring to with the, the girl? Oh, it's called Powder Burn. Powder Burn? Powder Burn, like the, uh, what you would know, forensic, with uh, where you shoot somebody and there's burn, the, the burn on their skin. <clears throat> okay, powder okay, Pow- powder, P-O-W-D-E-R. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so that, very that's, cool. That's based on a story from the, uh, the Northwest in the, the late 80s. Okay. So it was just something I was always fascinated by and just started researching and, and, and going after and reading everything I could about it. And sooner or later, a script came out of it, and it seems like it's, it's you know, going to be a good one. So if you're cool. into that type of stuff, look out for it. <laughs> Definitely. Very cool. So, and what else? I know you had mentioned City Gas. Is that one that you're currently involved in or still working on? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's another true story that, uh, okay, that, that's another true story that I became interested in that took place in New York, uh, where a gas station, a gas station chain millionaire hired a black guy to perform all these contract killings for him. Mm-hmm. So I just became fascinated with the story, and I went to the guy's trial, and uh, and now it, it's it's going to be made with uh, Nadine Andrews will play the lead from uh, the TV show Lost. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another. That was another story that was just just unbelievable. He couldn't. Uh, you know, usually these type of things take place where contract murders and everything are happening, and people don't have that much to lose. What's that, that that much to lose? But this guy had a lot to lose, and still he thought he was, as you said, omnipotent and that he would never get caught. Mm-hmm. He was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that, that one's going to be a really good one. So cool. lots of good true crime stuff in the pipeline. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. So why don't you also, um, I mean, it's been great having you on the show, and I'm so happy I was, you know, had the opportunity to bring you on and have you share your okay. story with everyone and all the amazing films. Um, yeah. So where where can people uh, find you? Are you on Twitter? Give all the, any social media sites, websites? Yes, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. So just follow me or whatever you do. And, uh, uh, friend me, follow me, and I'll I'll do the same. Very cool. 
So, yeah, definitely keep in touch, Chuck, uh, if and when your okay. new films are released uh, and you want to come back on to promote them. I always, you know, encourage my guests to contact me. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm actually working on a uh, a little comedy now. I think you mentioned it before called Dr. 420. Yeah, tell us a little. I just saw it for the first time because someone had shared my interview, I guess, that was promoting it. And I was like, huh, what's this? I never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, please tell That's us about actually- that. That's actually a break for me. Um, it's a comedy. It's a uh, it's a uh, stoner comedy. That's okay. I figured I'd need to lighten, lighten up a little bit. So that starts <laughs> with Lynn Che. It was in the, There's Something About Mary and Kingpin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it. Do you remember There's Something About Mary? Did you see that with? Uh, yeah, I did. I actually, and it's fine. I don't. Unfortunately, I don't go to the movies much. Actually, I don't go. I haven't went to the movies in years. But yes, I did see Something About Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she played the wacky old neighbor lady, the one with the tan yeah. and the little okay. bob. So yep. that's going to be pretty outrageous stuff. So that's awesome. I, it's kind of it's set in the world of medical marijuana, which is pretty rife for lampooning right now. I think <laughs> that would be yeah, definitely with all the controversy yeah. and stuff going on with that. Absolutely. Right. So it's nice to laugh a little bit instead of all this this dark crime stuff all the time. <laughs> Funny people who know me don't, you know, they're like, you're not like that at all. You know, they assume, they they see my films and then they meet me and they assume I'm going to be this dark guy who's always dreaming about serial <laughs> films. Like, nope, not at all. That's the same thing. Right, that's the same thing with me. People look at me and they're like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't bother uh it's funny people say you watch the stuff and you read the read about it. Does doesn't it bother you at night? You know, you're or you dream about it. I never do. I don't know. Maybe it's just getting it out during the waking hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you find you do you find that do you have bad dreams about what you do or? Oh, oh so you're asking you, me? I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought you were just. You were I thought you were just. Oh, do I? Um. You know, I don't. I, again, similar to you, I, I was I've been fascinated by this stuff since I was growing up. Um, especially horror movies, just kind of what makes people tick? Why do people do the things they do? I don't know if you know. Yeah, there are moments where I mean, I work with some really, you know, as you're talking about with these films that you've done, some really disturbing cases. But for me, the more disturbing, the better. I mean, I will take on you know things that my staff would be petrified of. So no, but I don't take it home with me. For some reason, I've always been able to separate myself. I don't think I can really watch horror movies real late at night anymore. I think that has a little aftermath maybe in my dreams. (laughs) So, you know, Uh I try to do those a little earlier in the evening. Um, But, yeah, it's weird. I'm just fascinated. I just I love the type of work. I like doing the forensic evaluations, the psychological testing, trying to figure out, you know, who might be trying to fake mental illness, who truly is psychotic. You know, I just I love that type of stuff. Yeah, obviously, if you're uh, if you're having people like me on your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the first I had contacted. It was funny. I've, I've been watching, like I said, those bio channels. So, you know, I did reach out to a couple of people, and I just thought, wow, that would be really cool, you know, to get some of these right. people on that are actually doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. It's, uh, say, when I, I, I'm liking lightening up a little bit, but... I, I don't think there's anything wrong with with just making a stream of, of interesting stuff about crime. I just always I loved stuff like Alfred Hitchcock and and mm-hmm. and deal with with people doing bad stuff and and getting in trouble and and running from the cops. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're more. I'm not as interested in the gangster stuff. That for me, you know, the mob stuff on the bio channel. I'm not for some reason. That's not mm-hmm. interesting. I like, for whatever reason, the Hillside Strangler, Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a real interesting one who reminds me of Ed Gein a little bit. I think his name was Robert Pickerton. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? I mean, wow! I didn't. I didn't. I'd never heard of him. Talk about disturbing! Holy moly! Uh, <laughs> what was his deal? Well, he was. I think they label him the pig killer, and similar oh, okay. to Ed Gein, someone who grew up on a farm. Um, eventually ended up living in a trailer by himself. And, yeah, he was lured in, it looked like mostly prostitutes. 
And yeah, he would he would decapitate him and and basically do things like Ed Gein did in terms of you know taking body parts and oh yeah, but just a horrific sight. I mean, when they eventually went to this farm, if you get a chance, try to find him on the bio channel. Really fascinating. Uh, yeah. I think I remember. I think I vaguely saw something about a a guy on a pig farm. Yeah, they called him, I guess, because he was, that's what his family and he did growing up was managing, like, this farm, and there was lots of pigs on it, and they called him the pig, I guess the pig killer or something. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I think Hollywood, Hollywood would have you believe that everyone who lives on farms and rural areas are... Right, right, right. Stuff like that. Like, right. No, you know, actually, what would be a really good, interesting movie? I don't know if they made one. What about one on the, the bomber, the uh, the Unabomber? The Unabomber? That would be in- I don't know. That would be interesting. I watched and see he wasn't like you know your typical serial killer in terms of I mean he was a serial killer but not your typical one that we're talking about but he was he looked like he was potentially pretty mentally ill I mean living in a place that had no running water or heat um you know he almost looked like he was potentially a little psychotic very paranoid yeah interesting exactly yeah he was actually lived in the suburb of Chicago that my parents lived in for a while. Wow. And, uh, it was kind of funny because uh, the name of the suburb is Lombard, so people were calling it Bombard. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, he is fascinating just because Yeah, that's was, an interesting uh, one, too. And, I mean, his brother turns him in. I mean, oh, my. I mean, just, yeah, that would be really interesting. Maybe yeah, maybe someday. Because he was so bright. You know, he was such an intellect. and uh, Yes. Just he was so so lost in numbers and algebra and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he just lost contact with the human race. <laughs> you know? Yeah, probably always probably a loner. You know, someone like that growing up, very schizoid, not interested in much contact with people. You know, like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so, that's usually uh, usually the first sign if they're somebody's just a loner and that's doesn't have much of an outer inner inner circle and just by themselves all the time and like Ed Gein is just lost in their thoughts and their fantasies. Yeah, but like you said too, I think it a good you know, the way you portray it with the mother. I mean, here is someone who, you know, was so enmeshed with his mother. I mean, the mom was so religiously preoccupied, you know, brainwashing the kids, definitely some type of abuse going on. You know, I mean so he just yeah, he had a priming for a lot of the mom was crazy. I mean, you did a great portrayal of the mom. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, you know. very Snodgrass. She was uh, she was really a terrific actress. She was a, yeah, exactly, uh, and a bunch of horror and and uh, she was a terrific actress. But uh, her and Steve together were that was a real treat. I thought because they're both yeah. so intense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Wow. Well, I mean, much continued success to you. Your stuff is amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing some more of your films and uh, looking forward to the new stuff that will come out. Absolutely. All right. Well, you so too. Yeah, best, best of luck with everything you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate quite, it. Maybe, maybe I'll pass across. What's that? Absolutely. you got a lot on your plate. Yeah, yeah, but I would love to, uh, if you need a, like I asked you that question, if you need some type of a psychologist to for, you know, educational purposes or Consulting stuff, I would just, I'd love to do something like that. Well, thanks for the so offer. Keep me in mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. All right, Chuck. So thank you so All much right. for coming on tonight. All right, no problem. I, I enjoyed it. Okay, thanks so much. All right, take, take care. care. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, you just heard uh, Chuck Perello, the writer and director of some of the most prolific serial killer films. Please check him out. He's on Facebook. He's on Twitter. And his last name is spelled P-A-R-E-L-L-O. He's got some amazing other stuff in the works, so we will look forward to seeing everything that he is getting into. So next week, I'm actually going to be having the show Monday versus Tuesday just because it's uh, Halloween week, and I know Halloween falls on some uh, interesting days depending on where you live for the kids that go out trick-or-treating. So on the 29th, it's going to be another treat. Next Monday, we are going to have comedian Chris DiStefano coming on, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. He is an up-and-coming comedian. Uh, he's currently has a show on MTV, and uh, he's really 
hit in the scene pretty fast. So we're looking forward to Chris DiStefano coming on next Monday, the 29th, at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Again, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Please follow me on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. Also on Facebook, you got to search my name because I have two personal pages since I maxed out one. So please find the page that uh, has the ability to send friend requests. Send me a friend request. I'd love to hear from people and keep in touch with everyone, especially all the amazing guests and listeners that I have on my show. And please become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook where you can learn about upcoming shows, events, and just all the amazing plugs that I do for my guests on the show. So tonight I felt it would be apropos to end the show with my single called Echo, which is off my debut album, Leave It All Behind. And you can find that on iTunes, Amazon Music, and all major digital sites. And the song Echo I thought was good because we're talking about Ed Gein, we're talking about voices, not being able to sometimes uh, get things out of your mind, things that kind of replay on rotate over and over again. So uh, let's check out Echo. And everyone also be sure to check out iRockTV.co, which is an amazing site for up-and-coming artists, musicians, and other entertainers. They're actually launching a branch in a branch in Chile. So, uh, but you can go to iRockTV.co and you can learn more about them. All right, thanks so much for tuning in. If you missed the show or tuned in late, the podcast will be available momentarily after the show is over. And we will now play Echo. Again, if you like what you hear, it's a full-length album where you can just download the single on iTunes, Amazon, and all my other major digital sites. Thanks so much and have a great night. Hey